Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 126. In today's episode, I interview Mr. Ultra Spiritual, J.P. Sears. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to hear us discuss microdosing movements, his commitment to creativity, and the spiritual connection. All right. And, and we're our, good. We're good. Oh, nice. All right. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you called me on video Skype, but... I'm not able to see your picture, which I, uh, that's not at all the end of the world. <laughs> I did. I don't know. That's, I, mean, I think that issue's probably in my end. God bless us. Well, all. here, let's, let's give this a shot again. Guys, we've been, uh, welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And online, I have JP Sears now. JP and I have been trying to connect for about 10 minutes now, and it's, it's finally working, I think, I hope. So let's, let's hope everybody can hear us here. JP, welcome back. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, you're welcome, Nick. It's it's wonderful to be back talking with you. Based on my Skype history, I can see it's been just a little over a year since the last time we talked. So man, it's nice to be back in the sandbox with you. <laughs> well, speaking of playing in the sandbox, I mean, we I think we've both had a few things happen since then. One of yours being uh, your book, which uh, I, I I'd love to uh, dive in and not only talk about the book, but I'm curious, actually, what did you learn most about yourself, maybe, and like writing in general when you uh, wrote the book? Yeah, I think uh, a reliance, I would call it like a faith in the the creative source. And, and what I mean by that is like, like full on committing to a creative project where I don't know what all the creativity is going to be. I don't know everything that's going to be in the book before I write it. Like, how could you? So it's just like having a faith that there will be this huge, creative, unseen hand supporting me. And, and like, it, not to sound too cliche, but there's an abundance of creativity, an abundance of material, even though, like, Right now, in the 
like for the JP before he started writing the book, even though right now I don't know what that is. I can't see, smell, taste, or feel it. So, man, a, a faith in the intangible and how it supports me, I think both creatively and, and I dare say spiritually, it was a big lesson for me. I'm curious too, because this has been something I, I know we've been getting ready to talk for a couple of weeks now and something came up to me this week and it's, all about this about spirituality and what is spirituality to you i mean in in like the truest form because i mean there's there's a lot of okay you you almost uh make it satire a satire out of but also i still see you as being a very spiritual person in your own right i maybe that's just my uh wrong uh perception of you but i'm curious what it really is for you to me spirituality is having a sense of connection to what's beyond me and that what what's beyond me it can be as simple and practical yet in my opinion fully spiritual is feeling connected to the forest that i'm in feeling connected to my girlfriend because like two the two of us that's bigger than just me and then sometimes it's feeling connected to I would say like something way bigger than all that. Like when I'm in my creative space, like I feel very connected to something. I just feel very connected. I know that's like abstract language, but it's what I feel. And I can't point my finger in the direction of what that connection is to. I can't see who it is. I can't uh, comprehend it, but it's a, a feeling of it there. So, and feeling connected to something bigger than me is what spirituality is for me. That's interesting. I, I, I love hearing people's takes on it because, I mean, you could go probably as many different people as there are on earth are going to have, and, and animals and plants and whatever it is probably have their own forms of spirituality. Uh, yeah. But I like that because, I mean, I could see that as, over the last year, like I've developed that understanding of the whole interconnectedness really of it all. Uh, and it's something that really intrigues me, uh, to, I guess, explore more, uh, because it, it's going to change every single day, really. Yeah, man. I think one of the only things about life that never changes is the fact that everything's always changing. I, I think, life, and in this case, I'll use the word spiritual, but I think life is bigger than usually what we call spiritual. And I I think it is always changing. Like, it's not a static phenomenon. So, yeah, like what we can be connected to and how we experience that connection, I think one of the principal things that always changes is the idea that it's a it has to be a present moment phenomenon. So it's like we can maybe be connected spiritually right now, but in an hour from now, that doesn't mean we're connected. We have to like find the groove of the next moment to be connected. So uh, to me, that that that's like a gives the sense that it is always changing because it is a moment to moment phenomenon where we have to be present. We have to be like journey oriented consciousness rather than like destination oriented consciousness where it's like, okay, I did that. And therefore it's done. It doesn't 
have to I don't have to experience change because I reached the proverbial destination of spiritual connection. This is making me think back uh just maybe two months ago I had uh Jator Pierre on the podcast and he was talking like uh, we talked about like being able to be one hundred percent present and I think connected is is a very similar thing. Uh and talking like it almost doesn't seem possible because there would just be such an overwhelming amount of input coming in if you just were aware of every single thing around you at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's why it's like, I, I like how you're saying this with the connection because that it's going to be different from now than it is in an hour. Because if we were staying connected on that one thing, maybe if you're going down your creativity path, you're staying connected to that for an hour. But even something like that, I imagine is, is it tough do you find to, keep that connection with something at all times or is that why it's always changing maybe yeah well i love the wisdom of your words uh, uh, to me the goal isn't to be like with creativity as the example the goal isn't to be connected creatively all the time it's you know like for instance this morning i had 45 minutes of dedicated creative time and the goal was to be connected then and right now in this moment, if I was just connective and the um, creative angle, then it's like, wow, I wouldn't be present talking with you. And then later when I'm spending time with my girlfriend, I want to have the connection with her. That's the principal connection I want to be present with in the moment, not the creative connection. So, man, I, I think the, the mantra of the ego is in the extremes it's like all day every day that way we don't have to experience the the challenge of change but i think the heart and soul says like yeah we got to embrace the change we can't be in the extreme where we'll be connected to one thing all the time and therefore everything's just predictable and familiar but it's like all right yeah the the tides change i've got to shift how i'm surfing the waves and i have to surf different waves it's, you know, try, trying to stay on the same wave forever means eventually I'm just surfing on the beach where the wave crashed into. But it's like, okay, I'll just pedal back out and get on the new wave of connecting to my girlfriend later and then connecting to like a, a meditation after that. So with your uh, 45 minutes of creativity this morning, uh, can you share with what you were connecting with or what you were working on? Yeah, I was working on a new video idea in the video. I don't know exactly what I'll uh, call it, but it's it's a video about how redheads are suppressed. Like, we're a suppressed ethnicity, and it's a, a pure parody video. And, yeah, like, that, that I, I've got so many video ideas, some that are being worked on in process, but this particular idea came to me last night. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I'm excited about working on that one. I want to work on that one. So yeah, I'm, I'm literally just sitting in a chair. I was making notes on my phone and I just in, and it's like a, like a being very in the moment sort of flow state time usually goes by too fast when I'm in those moments. And, and to me, it's a sensation when I'm in my creative space and working on this video where it's like, I it doesn't seem like I'm coming up with ideas. It seems like I'm listening to ideas that are being subtly yet noticeably whispered in my ear. And so I'm kind of like being the 
the receiver of those ideas, much like how the the fetus inside the mother is the receiver of the nutrition that comes through the umbilical cord. So intentional creative time feels like I'm unkinking the umbilical cords so that I can receive from a place beyond me. I can really appreciate the running out of time with creative time or like going very quickly. Uh, Cause yeah. I was trying to make sure, yeah, like once a week where I can just kind of put things down there and like you said, it could be, 10 minutes, it could be an hour. It almost all feels the same because it just goes by so quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, JP, you also have Comedy Tour coming up, correct? I do. Uh, that'll be, let's see, end of November. And that'll be starting. Well, I, I, I listened to our most recent podcast like uh, this week, and I, I remembered that we talked about Bill Burr. And at the time, I really hadn't, I didn't know who Bill Burr was. Now yeah. I've listened to him. And I guess where I want to take this is how have you gone about uh, really preparing for all this? Because shooting videos and you, you can, I'm sure if you need to, you can do multiple edits, you can do all these takes, like sure. you can just splice it together, right? But with the comedy writing, I mean, I, I've become more fascinated with this because to me, even writing two or three minutes of comedy seems like a daunting task, let alone, I think, are you having like an hour-long set? Yeah, it'll be an hour-long set, yeah. Now, did, what did you do? Like, how did you prepare for this? Did you, is this just been something you've uh, always been interested in? Is Did you work with people to kind of like say, hey, how do I get into the stand-up comedy? Have you done this previously? I'm just not even sure. Yeah, you know, First off, I'm not fully prepared. The you know end of November from right now. It's a few months away, so like it, it's okay. I'm not fully prepared, but you know some of what I've prepared, done to prepare so far, is inside of me, and some is external. So some of the external preparation has been like literally practice. So when my book came out in March. There were about a dozen cities that I did a uh, that I stopped at to do book tour stops, and and I used those stops as practice for the comedy tour, and and, and I think normal if there's ever such a thing like in a normal uh, book tour thing you go to like the author maybe reads some passages out of his or her book, answers questions, gives a little talk, and that's what it is. But that sounds boring to me. Plus, it's like, ah, I want to use this. I want to use this opportunity of having this wonderful audience in front of me to, like, up-level myself. And it's like, to me, the book, now it's boring. Like, I wrote it. Like, creative process is done. The exciting part is done. I don't want to just talk about what I did in the past. So I... I definitely used all the book tour stops as a test for comedy material where I would show up and for if I was on for an hour and a half, I'd do maybe about half of that as comedy and then the second half as a sincere discussion from my heart. And then I even let that grow and evolve to the, the last two or three book tour stops 
I, I wasn't segmenting comedy and sincerity like in two different parts of the talk. I was letting them just blend in much more together. And I was much more, I guess, sponta- spon- spontaneous and interactive with the audience. So I was doing a lot of testing there. So I think that's very important preparation. So in other words, doing what you're going to do is the best preparation. So these shows were called book tour stops. But I was actually just doing essentially uh, comedy shows to an extent. I'm a big fan of believing like doing what you're going to do is how you get good at doing what you're going to do. I don't think there's any real way to bypass that. And then I think internally, I, I think the biggest thing I have done and probably need to do more of is get the hell out of my way. (laughs) <laughs> like get get the hell out of my way. Like what are the expectations that I have of me? What are the expectations that I imagine other people have of me, whether they're accurate or not? Still expectations. And and let me not get down in on my bended knees and worship those expectations because that will be me kneeling down, getting in my own way. So uh, there, there's a lot to work with inside of me as far as not being a slave to expectations so that I can better be myself on stage and not think like, okay, like look at Bill Burr and like, wow, that guy's a comedic genius. This is how he does it. He's a straight stand-up comedian. And oh shit, he's got 20 years of stand-up experience <laughs> and I've got like three months of it. So a big thing for me on all that is I, I'm not going in with the mindset that says I'm doing stand-up comedy because honestly, like that's an art form itself that that I don't do. It's like I I will be standing up doing comedy, but stand-up comedy, like what Bill Burr does, what Joe Rogan does on stage, those like I'm not trying to fool myself into believing I'm supposed to be that. I think what will serve the audience best and what will be the best experience for me that I can be the best service possible is if I do me, not do expectations, but I get on stage and do me. So that that's easier said than done, but that's some stuff I'm working with to prepare myself inside. I think that's great, actually. I I hadn't thought about it from that standpoint. I was thinking more like, okay, well, for myself, I was I, I was automatically in the mind of like, oh, well, I'll study what other people do, like how what does their presence look like on stage, like all of that, rather than like you said, hey, go up there, you know what you're going to talk about, and then just yeah, hey, letting it flow creatively again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think, man, the. Looking at what other people do, that's a freaking double-edged sword right there. I think the the edge of the sword that works for me when I do that is when I get inspiration seeing what people do. And the edge of the sword that I can slide into too often is the edge of the sword where I look at what other people do and then I think I'm supposed to do it their way or I think I'm supposed to be like them. So that that like kind of takes me out of the power so or out of the power of me being me and i i think i have to 
realize, and I think this is honestly a universal lesson. I don't think it applies to just JP, but I look at when I am myself, that has created the most success for me. It's not when I pretend I'm someone else or try to, well, this is how Bill Burr does it. Like that's never given me success. So man, sometimes there's reminders. That's like, okay, my success is found by getting out of my way so I can be more fully JP. I would guess Bill Burr's success is found when he can get more out of his way and be more Bill Burr. So looking at what others do, I, I'm in a phase where I don't do much of that because I think the temptation to not be inspired by them, which I would then you know get more of me uh, from seeing them, the temptation is to slide away from that into, well, now I think I sp- I'm supposed to do it their way. So, um, yeah, yeah, right now I'm, I'm not looking at much of other people uh, as far as like comedians and stand-up stuff. I feel like this is a, a therapy session. I'm getting a lot of benefit <laughs> here, uh, Dr. Nick. Uh, well, I'm curious, like this is actually sparking a lot of thought in my head. So I appreciate like. Uh, retrospect like looking back at myself so uh likewise uh but how do you how do you get out of your own way then like is this something that you're become aware of is this something you just naturally let happen to uh where's where do you find the best way for you to do that for yourself yeah you know i'm uh, i think i struggle with it it's uh it's pretty easy for me to do in some areas Making videos. I, over the past two and a half years of making comedy videos, I've gotten enough practice of getting out of my way where it, there's a decent amount of grace and ease there. But then getting out of my own way doing comedy shows, like, okay, I don't have two and a half years of experience doing that. So I'm, I'm much more of a rookie there. So I think when, when I've been on stage noticing how I get in my way. That's important lessonry right there. So noticing when I've gotten in my way, that's, that's an important, uh, I think, step of awareness so that next time I don't get in my way the same way, at least as much. So kind of noticing when I fall off the uh, surfboard so that like, okay, now I can get back on and learn from how I got out of, uh, you know, I lost the balance of my own self there. So learning from past mistakes, I think is, is, um, big for me. And then I think, you know, I also need to be, I need time to be centered in myself. I need meditation time. I need time to be swimming in my creativity. So I think continuing to intentionally, have periods of time where I essentially immerse myself in myself. So it's it, it's familiar to me to a degree, like how I feel when I am being me. And, and it's like, okay, now I have like a feeling-oriented point of reference of like where I want to be within myself because like I can feel what it's like to be in it, to stand in my sacred ground and I can kind of feel what it's like when I lose my sacred ground and start 
trying to stand on expectations that I'm think I'm supposed to meet. Just because it's come up a few times, are you a big surfer? You've been using that analogy. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> man, I use surfing analogies all the time, but no, I'm not a surfer at all. Okay, but this actually still brings up something that I was curious about because, I mean, you've been an emotional healing coach. It's a lot of what uh, maybe some of your, or a fair amount of your work has been around, like the spiritual realm. Like, what does the rest of maybe, like, what are your uh, health habits look like? Like, what do you do for movement? What do you do? Uh, I mean, like sleep, nutrition, like, are are there any, uh, things where maybe we'd be surprised by? Probably no big surprises to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm sure just like yourself, I'm eating clean, organic, whole foods the vast majority of the time. I'm doing my best to get eight hours of sleep a night, not always perfect, but usually pretty darn close to that. And I'm exercising with weights uh, usually three or four days a week, and then I, I'm doing what I would call like yoga and stretching. Uh, nobody else would probably call it yoga. Uh, <laughs> man, and then, and then I, I think a lot of that's become second nature to me, but I think the, the biggest upgrade to my health habits, both physically and psychologically, in the past year is what I would call microdosing movements. So like, yeah, going to the, going into the gym for 45 minutes or an hour of like real exercise. Awesome. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about getting up from my computer for five minutes, jumping up and down, doing a couple downward dogs, doing 10 body weight squats doing that at a handfuls of handful of intervals throughout the day that like that's so small and and I don't think it's making me fitter but it is stimulating my physiology it's circulating like blood lymph but also it's like it, it just circulates this physical psychological energy that feels like an upgrade to my being and that like it's so small it's not scientific it's just caveman simple but that's been like a just a great upgrade for me and it, and it kind of like i look back over the years where i would be you know just like a lot of other people spending a lot of time at a desk and yes i'm getting great exercise outside but you know i'd be in four maybe eight hour blocks where i'm cryogenically frozen into a sedentary <laughs> position at a desk it's like, wow, that looking back, that feels awful. It really does. And I think what I bring to whatever work I'm doing there in the seated position, man, I, I, it's hard to bring passion. It's hard to bring my A game when I'm in a, like, honestly, like a, uh, I think a sedentary constipated state physically and psychologically. So that microdosing movements has been awesome for me. Yeah, and that's a really cool concept. I, I've adopted this for a while, but it, I mean, it's easy because I'm I'm working with patients like a lot of times throughout the day, so I'm showing exercises, I'm doing all these demonstrations. But like you said, it's not that I'm working out all day. No, it's just these little movements that just help me keep pumping, and it feels fantastic. And if I don't do it, like I'll just if I'm standing at my desk doing notes, same thing. I'll just drop down, do a couple squats, and just go back to it. But it feels amazing. Yeah. Uh, 
physically and mentally to to add that back in too. Yeah, yeah, and and to me the mindset of I'm doing this to move. I'm I'm not doing this to get fitter because I think before yes, my yes. mindset would have been like, well, what's the point of doing 10 body weight squats? What's the point of doing 5 or 10 push-ups? I'm not going to get fitter. It's like, yeah, that's not the point. The the point is to move so that I can feel more stimulated right now, not fitter a week from now. So we're using the word microdosing here, JP. I've never, I don't, <laughs> I know, but I, I don't know that I've ever heard you talk about, maybe I've just missed it, but your thoughts on psychedelics, especially because you're, you're so involved in the, in the mental, the spiritual uh, game. Like w- what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, well, I don't have educated thoughts on them. I'll throw that disclaimer out there first. <laughs> you know, my my experience is, well, I think 11 years ago, I had three 5-MeO-DMT experiences. And then 10 years ago, I had three LSD experiences. And then last week, I had uh, my first ayahuasca experience. So... Like, yeah, I am, I am so not dogmatic one way or the other. You got to use them. You got to not use them. You know, if you look at my history, like for the, up until last week, for the past 10 years, I just didn't have any kind of inner calling for Mm -hmm. them. And uh, in like my ayahuasca experience, it's, it was my experience. I think it would be irresponsible for me to project my experience onto other people, which I would call my experience a beautiful one. I think it would be wrong of me to uh, falsely believe other people will have that same experience, therefore they should do it. Uh, I think there's so many factors that go into is some kind of plant medicine or other psychedelic experience, is it right for you? I don't know. And I think the one thing I know is nobody outside of you will know. Uh, there, I mean, there is, there's like this adolescent peer pressure that, that pervades the plant medicine community, psychedelic communities. And I, I really don't have any respect for, uh, people pressuring other people into using substances. So if someone has an inner calling for it, then I think it's okay. It's something to explore. And, and if one does have an inner calling for them, I think what's way more important than are you going to use a substance or not is who are you going to use it with? Who is your guide? And first off, if you don't have a guide, I would say, don't use it. And if you have a guide who isn't deeply trained in a tradition with years of experience leading people, then don't use it. Uh, I, the ceremony that I was a part of, it was led by um, uh, a wonderful woman who's uh, got many, many years of experience serving ayahuasca and she's trained with the the legitimate indigenous people in peru for many years she's not what i would call like a a convenient shaman 
<laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, I ordered that off the internet. So like I have it. So now I'm a shaman because I want to use it and not be inconvenienced uh, or humble enough to have someone guide me on it. So I think that's important. And, and also to be real, as I mentioned, like my ayahuasca experience was, it was a beautiful experience. Would I call it life-changing? Not at all. Uh, if I did another ayahuasca ceremony, would that be life-changing? I don't know. Maybe and maybe not, but, but uh, that's my experience. And I would say like my like my third DMT experience, I can literally say that was the worst experience of my entire life. So there's, man, there's a full range of experiences that people can have. And, and there's without a doubt some people who will say like, that was life-changing for me. Like my girlfriend, she, uh, as part of ayahuasca ceremonies uh, pretty regularly, and she has had life-changing experiences with ayahuasca. Uh, so, yeah, man, it, it's, a, it's just like asking like, wow, what should I, what kind of food should I eat? It's like, well, <laughs> man, I don't know. Like high-fat, low-fat, high-protein, low-protein, fasting it's like i definitely don't know you and what you need i think it's it's hard for us to even have half a clue what we need so yeah it's a it's a big topic and and i think the concluding the only conclusion i have is i don't know uh when it comes to other people like no idea if it's right for you how were the experiences different i guess not necessarily from um, the 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 same either like plant or um, like the chemical there. Like, how how is it different from using the DMT to using the LSD to using the ayahuasca? Like, were they very different feelings that you experienced? The first DMT experience was a similar feeling to my ayahuasca experience. You know, the the DMT it was just like you know, times a hundred and times light speed, but it was a very similar feeling. And, and I, I think the LSD experience was, um, I would say like it felt related, the feelings of it felt related to the ayahuasca experience. So there's, you know, there's some differences, but you know, it is, as you get me thinking with the question, there's definitely some similarities, I think, with all of them, uh, except the, you know, the very negative DMT experience as like, well. Was, that wasn't similar to anything. What is now, like, just going forward, what, what have you, maybe from the ayahuasca experience, just because that was so recent, like, uh, is it changing anything in you? I guess, is is there anything that's very drastically different? Like you said, it wasn't necessarily uh, a life-changing event, maybe, but yeah. what, what, uh, what changed in you with it? It's a good question. I, I don't know, and, um, and I like it that way. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time hearing a lot of people speak a lot of words trying to convey and interpret their ayahuasca experiences that doesn't feel good to me 
to try to do for myself. It, it feels like it would be an attempt to make something that's big enough to be incomprehensible into something small enough that I can comprehend with here are the sound bites of change, what it did for me. The, the part of the answer is I don't know if it changed something in me. I don't know if I experienced any change other than like for those few hours, it was like an enjoyable experience. I, I think it's definitely possible it did. Yet, I, I don't know, and if it did, what did it change? I don't know. And me being consciously aware of what it changed, if it changed anything, I don't think is necessary. I think the, the change that happens, if it happens, it's deep enough and profound enough that it, you know, us being aware of it or it being a legitimate change doesn't hinge on us, like our beady little minds being aware of it. So, man, it, it feels it feels really good to say I don't know, like I and I don't care to try to interpret the experience beyond saying it felt like a beautiful sacred experience to me. And I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think that's just such an awesome way to, to bring, I, I think like you're saying that I don't know, I think that's a beautiful thing to actually be able to express and not be worried about either. Because so oftentimes I feel like people will bring and say like, oh, I don't know, but they're still trying to figure it out. And like it's killing them inside that they don't know whatever it is. Uh, but to be able to let that go and just let the experience be what it is and who knows what that's going to bring in the future, I think is awesome. Mm. Yeah, you know, to me, it's um, it, it feels good. I, I think for for some people, like they need to talk it out as a way of processing and maybe integrating lessons. So I'm, I, I don't want to claim this is like good advice for anybody other than me. But man, it, it, it does feel good to just, I, I think, be in a place of humbleness, of saying, like, "Yeah, I don't know." period. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, I, I don't need to validate anything. I don't have any kind of financial interest in the, you know, the industrial ayahuasca complex where I want other people to go spend their money using it. It's like, no, zero attachment there. So like, I don't know. JP, you said it would be almost tough to bring into words anyway. And I know, uh, I, from my experience, I think is you're a big guy on words. Uh, are there any words that just are really uh, hitting home for you positively, negatively, that like is really something that you're focusing on right now? Uh, surrender is a big word in my, my uh, vocabulary that, because I need to hear it a lot. So yeah, surrender. And I think what surrender means to me is let go of control, let go of the need to feel so safe that I have to create a sense of control at the expense of surrendering and receiving. I think when, when, when I'm in a state of trying to control life and, you know, know what's going to happen before it's going to happen and, you know, feel like I'm doing everything that, uh, that it feels like I close off to something bigger and it feels safer being closed off because, of course, I feel in control. I know what's coming. And I feel more <laughs> egotistically significant because I was like, I did this. This is me. 
but uh man surrender there's i've found so much grace that follows surrender and i think it takes a willingness to be uncomfortable a willingness to be scared a willingness to say i don't know and it's okay and 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 sometimes i think it even takes a willingness to feel scared to death so that we can actually live our life i think surrendering is a process of self-realization really and it's not self-creation by our ego it's yeah it's self-realization and and i i think if we don't surrender what we believe and who we think we are then we're pretty closed off to discovering who we actually are and we're pretty closed off to discovering beliefs that are bigger than our old beliefs that serve us better than our old beliefs and maybe have a higher degree of truth than our old beliefs. Maybe. Do you know of something or are you aware of something that you're having trouble surrendering right now? Uh, it's a good question. Like as we speak, I, I'm talking to you on Skype on my phone and, and as we speak, I'm looking at my laptop that's, like it's crashed like this this thing is pretty well screwed right now (laughs) and i'm in costa rica there i don't think there are any apple stores in costa rica (laughs) i i don't know if there's anybody to take my computer to to hopefully get fixed and even if there was i don't know if the computer can be fixed and then I, it's really interesting. There's this mental chatter, like I've got a, a couple huge projects that I'm uh, uh, right in the middle of right now. And it's like, wow, wow, that, that it's the end of the world if my computer's crashed. And like, of course, <laughs> there'd be some lost work and uh, things would be slower. And so, but there's also, a, I don't know if it's just like, the essence of you nick or what it what what it is but i feel shockingly more surrendered to my computer crashing right now than i would expect <laughs> like there's definitely a, a little voice inside my head it feels like 30 percent like there's a taking up 30 percent of the territory there's the here's why this is bad here's all the bad stuff that will happen as a result of this. This is an inconvenient inconvenience. So there's that loop. And then there's the uh, other loop that says like, wow, that in the scheme of it, this isn't a big deal. Keep breathing, <laughs> like trust things will work out. It might not all work out the way I expect, but like, man, it's, it's okay. And it's nice to have that. 70 percent um and like having both feels real but you know if i had a magic wand i'd probably surrender more and maybe get to a ratio of 95 5 you know i'd want myself at least five percent freaked out so i take action and do what i have to do to get this bastard fixed so nick did you sabotage my computer just so you could ask me that question no comment uh okay (laughs) as you were talking and I wrote this and it almost seemed like it was like I wrote it down and then I feel like you almost went into something 
uh, similar to an answer to it. I, I don't know. But have you ever thought of, you seem like a, a very contemplative person. Like you're very well grounded, but still very much in your own head. Have you ever almost just thought of like, not saying just, ah, screw it. And just kind of like, kind of letting like, I don't know, letting it go to the wind, if you will. Like not going so deep uh, on some of these topics that we've talked about, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, man, I, I think it's important to be real. I think always being deep, it's like, motherfucker, if you can't say shit, piss, and fuck once in a while, and you always have to be deep and insightful, then one thing you are not is real. So, yeah, there, like, I've, I don't know, I was probably in a, a several year period in my 20s where I always had to be deep, let me be insightful. And I love that realm. I really do. And there's other flavors of life, man. So there's times in conversations where I will, like, it's like, it feels good to be shallow, to joke around, to, not take any of this too seriously and like sometimes just be unwilling to engage in a deeper way even if other people uh, are wanting to go there it's like oh no i'm i'm in the i'm in the the shallow spectrum of life right now and you know the water's good here too i wouldn't want to be stuck there and I, I don't think I want to be stuck in the deep water either. I like to swim in the whole pool. I'm finding that the, the way that you said that, I see that it, like, I guess more and more in all aspects of my life. Like, I don't want to just eat like whatever you you would call perfect all the time. Like, no, sometimes I want a cookie, right? Yeah. And then like other times it's like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the best movement for me right now. I just want to lift heavy or I just don't want to do anything. And like, I guess, yeah, like you said, swimming in all parts of the pool for any aspect there here. I mean, we're thinking of like going deep and being very contemplative, but that's, that's a fun way to think about it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, brother. Yeah. And, and there's a delusional part of me is like, wow, me thinking that it's good to be sh- like shallow sometimes. Is that actually me just trying to, be so deep that I glorify like it's good to be shallow sometimes so I pretend to be shallow but I'm still in the safety of feeling deep so I can gratify myself I don't know I wonder if I'm doing that right now (laughs) well JP I know we missed a couple minutes there at the beginning we're coming up on our hour here can you share with us hey everything that you're up to what what, where people can go to check you out if they want to go hey either get the book check you out on the comedy tour just anything else that you're up to uh, where can they find more about you? Yeah, a great place to connect with me is on all my social media. Uh, Facebook, YouTube are some of the prime places I'm always posting videos to. But all my social media handles are Awaken with JP. And I encourage people, go check some of this stuff out. Uh, I know, uh, JP, I think you're going to be in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. I'm gonna, I, I want to do my best to get there because Brooklyn's not too far for me. Um, it's one of those like, I'm going to have a two-month-old at that time, so we're going to do our best. Uh, (laughs) Oh, congratulations for your upcoming new little one. That's awesome. But I really encourage people, like, go check this out because I think I'm intrigued to see 
how you are going to blend uh, I think all of those things that you talked about, like you said, you had like an hour and a half when you were doing your speaking tours and you started off, it was like maybe 30 minutes of this, 30 minutes, of like, or half and half like this yeah. and this. Uh, but I, I'm curious to see that blend, but I think people definitely go check this out. I think it's going to be some awesome stuff. Uh, in addition to, like you said, everything else that you're putting out there on all the socials. So JP, this has been a wonderful conversation. I just want to say thank you again so much. Oh, you're welcome, Nick brother. I appreciate you. And I'm, yeah, so thankful for you having me on. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.